Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. After nine months of pregnancy and then giving birth, you'd think it was all plain sailing from then on, but for many, this sadly isn't the reality. Something that I found difficult was support and at times loneliness. Becoming a mother has been the biggest blessing, but also challenging at times. The Peanut App is a safe space to connect with other women who are mothers, expectant mothers, or trying to conceive. Peanut has opened up a whole new community for seeking advice, support, or even making new friends throughout motherhood. You can download the Peanut app for free today on your app store. So head on over to peanut.app.link slash feed for thought. Hello and welcome to Food for Thought on Motherhood, a special mini-series on all things pregnancy, childbirth and baby. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In this special mini-series, I'm joined by leading health professionals so that together we can all learn fact from fiction and support your journey, whether that's through conception, pregnancy, or just like me as a brand new mum. The first three months of a baby's life are like another trimester of pregnancy, because in many ways, newborns are still gestating, even after they are born. For many mums, The fourth trimester is filled with some of the highest highs. It's incredible, but also some of the greatest challenges. This Food for Thought on Motherhood sees Dr. Philippa Kay and I unearth what really goes on in such a critical time period for both mum and baby. Hello, Philippa. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I am good. Lockdown with three children, five, eight and 12 has been interesting, but you've had lockdown with a newborn baby and that is definitely interesting too. I think interesting is is the right word, but somehow I keep seeing you cropping up on this morning on the TV, Philippa, whilst managing (laughs) to do all of that remotely. It's quite impressive, the workload that you're currently juggling. Thank you, but I think it's the same as many, many women out there who are trying to balance the demands of career and home and kids. And when you added in homeschool as well, um, it tipped over a little bit sometimes. But I think that that is essentially one of the things that we're talking about today, which Mm. is balance and juggling and the mum guilt that comes with that. And that's all part essentially of parenting, isn't it? Oh, I mean, 100%. I'm not quite at that point yet with little Zachary. But um, I think you quite rightly said for a woman in particular, we have so many 
I'm going to say the word pressures in a way on our shoulders because we have different expectations today I think in this society than we used to have and in many ways if today we're obviously discussing the fourth trimester I think this has to be the hardest trimester of them all you think you get to the third in pregnancy then you're like oh I'm gonna have the baby and it's fine but I've been to I remember texting you at the start Philippa and I was I was absolutely at my wits end So I think that pregnancy, no matter what number baby you are on, is a little bit like falling off the edge of a cliff, which sounds really bizarre. But you know that you're going to have a baby, but you can't imagine what life is going to be like with that baby. And even if you have baby number one, you can't imagine what it's going to be like to have number two, number three, number four. And so you're very present in that moment, but it's really impossible to plan ahead. And then you are thrown into an entirely new world where every single thing has changed. Add into that the huge changes that are going on physically with your body. And it's not a wonder, actually, that it can be really, really difficult. And I think that it's really important to be honest about it. And that there's so much pressure of, oh, you've got a baby and everything's perfect. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It's hard. It's knackering. And they smile at you at just the right moment when you are on your knees with exhaustion. (laughs) And they begin to give something back at that point. But we are the only animal who's essentially who's young are so so helpless so our babies if you think about a baby giraffe or a baby dog or something right they sort of get up and they snuffle around and they find their way to the to their mother's teeth and then they're sort of playing and they're walking you know within a few hours and our babies need to be taught how to feed even if they're breastfeeding, they need to be taught how to feed. They need to be taught how to sleep. They need to be taught absolutely everything at the same time that you are going through these huge changes in your own body. And add to that the world that we live in nowadays, which isn't as sort of nuclear as it was. We we don't live on the same street as our sisters and our mums and our nans who would all be in and out helping us. We don't live in that village society anymore. And for many women who are trying to still balance some part of a career or feeling worried about their careers. And it's really, you know, it's an awful lot to take on. And for all the women who have done this through lockdown, who were in hospital on their own, hopefully not for their labours, but who may have stayed in hospital afterwards on their own, Um, and who haven't had the normal support. There is support out there, but it's been very different. I really admire you because it is challenging. Gosh, I got a bit emotional then when you said that, especially (laughs) when you said that last bit, because it brought it all back a little bit for me. Um, Yes, it, it, it is. It's hard, like you said, and I agree. I don't feel it is spoken about enough, which is why I wanted to do this podcast episode with with you, because everyone kept saying to me at the end, oh, you know, please don't hesitate to ask if you need any help. And I was just thinking, well, you know, I know I'm going to be very, very tired, but but you don't realize how helpless they are. You, you know, you have to change nappy, but it literally is all consuming. And I suppose one thing that I didn't get in lockdown uh, were the regular visits that you would normally get. Could you just go through what new mums would expect? So the support that is yeah. there, perhaps on the NHS? So the first thing I actually wanted to say was that I want to make it clear to women that that I'm not essentially 
moaning or I'm not complaining. Mm. And there's so much guilt around the fourth trimester and around parenting in general. And no matter what you do with regards to your parenting, someone will disagree with you on it. You know, that bit that's the only mm. bit of parenting I can guarantee for you. Saying that something is hard doesn't mean that you don't love your kid. Saying that you're exhausted and that you're crying and that you're on your knees doesn't mean that you wouldn't lay down in front of a car for them. Those two things can run side by side and that is okay. And that's the first thing to say because there is so much guilt about even allowing yourself to admit that something is hard or allowing yourself to feel negative. Um, And actually, sometimes just owning that for a minute is enough for women. But let's talk about what you would ordinarily expect. So if you've had a vaginal uncomplicated birth, you can be discharged from hospital within about six hours or the next day. Um, And actually, that. You might have had, I hope that you would have seen somebody about feeding, but that's not really a lot of time to get breastfeeding established. If you have had a more complicated birth, um, be it vaginally, you might be in for a little bit longer. And if you've had a cesarean section, you're generally in hospital for three days. During that time, whether or not you whatever kind of delivery you have had, a paediatrician or a midwife will see your baby to do the first baby check. Um, And that's when they will check the baby from head to toe. In most hospitals, um, it, it depends exactly where you are, but in most hospitals, you will also have the hearing check. Um, and that's essentially where we bounce sound waves down into the baby's ear and wait for them to bounce back. Um, and it doesn't hurt them at all. It's just a little device that goes into the baby's ear um, and it takes a few minutes. Um, but if it's not done in hospital, you'll be offered another appointment for that after on, later on. And then you are discharged into the care of the community midwives. Now, the community midwives um, generally, especially for a first time mum, will come and see you at home and they will see you at home to weigh the baby. Now, what we know is that when you are, if you are breastfeeding and you are producing colostrum, it takes a little bit of time for the milk to come in and it's not unusual. In fact, I would say it's normal for babies to lose a little bit of weight in the first few days. And doctors and midwives become concerned if they lose more than 10% of their birth weight, but not up until then. So they will come to your house and they will weigh the baby and they might help you with feeding. And then at about day five, um, when hopefully your milk has come in, you have your first uh, sort of test test, and that is something called the Guthrie test. And the Guthrie test is a heel prick. And the heel prick um, is a little tiny sample of blood that is taken from the baby's heel, and it's dotted onto little circles on a bit of cardboard is what it looks like. And it tests for various diseases which often would need treatment um, straight away. So for example, they would test for hypothyroidism, so not having enough thyroid hormone. If you treat that straight away by replacing the thyroid hormone, then there's no problems with the babies um, later on. There's another disease um, called PKU, which has got a very long name, um, but essentially you need to omit something from the baby's diet. And again, it causes no problems um, as long as that treatment is had. Uh, And so that's the first sort of um test i guess an invasive test because there's a little tiny prick um and then as long as everything is okay you get discharged from the community midwives generally within about the first two weeks and you go to the care 
of the health visitor. Now, the health visitor ordinarily would also come and see you. Um, and they are the person to go to for advice and weighing um, and things like developmental checks for up to the first five years. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to hook you into places in the community that you can go to for help and know who you are. And those are essentially the first checks that you get before you get to your GP in a couple of weeks time. Wow, that, that, there's a lot. That's really comprehensive. Thank you. I was actually thinking, oh, I, obviously, I didn't have any of this myself, um, anecdotally going going through having a baby because of COVID. But it does seem like there is actually quite a bit of support, which sounds really lovely. And you brought up one thing about establishing breastfeeding, and one thing I'm quite grateful for, as much as my my birth experience, you know, wasn't quite. Um, I wouldn't call it. Yeah, it wasn't very positive. I had a lot of support in the hospital with the feeding, which I think yeah. gave us a good head start actually and helped us deal with problems we had later down the line, which we'll get to with tongue tie and things. But having nobody so, to watch you is hard, isn't it? Yeah. So you were in hospital for a few days. And so actually some of those tests that I was just talking about would have been done, whether you know, in that hospital mm. environment, um, which is slightly different. And I think that there is an advantage of being able to see the breastfeeding advisor that comes around every day and for a midwife to check your latch over and over and over again. Now, even in COVID, there is that support available. Um, community midwives are going into people's houses, you know, that 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 help is still out there. Um, when it comes to breastfeeding, breast feeding is not easy. I will consider myself hugely lucky that I was able to feed all my three children. Um, the first one, I got into a horrible bleeding nipple mess before mm. somebody sorted me out um, and said, this is what's going on. This is what you need. And this is the best cream to use. And this is how you latch. And um, my eldest is 12. Actually, now I recommend people to places like the La Leche League online. It's got fantastic mm. videos. Um, and actually, when it's three o'clock in the morning and you're looking for um, that that sort of support of, mm, I don't know, this suddenly feels a bit tuggy. I can feel it. What am I doing right or wrong? Just being able to see what it looks like to have a good latch um, makes a real difference, I think. And the other yeah. thing is that... Um, when it comes to baby number two or three, you might know what you're doing, but baby doesn't, and they still have to learn. Um, and having a good latch um, is essential for you to have pain-free feeding, feeding that doesn't wreck your nipples. Um, but fed is best. That's my mantra. Fed is best. Happy mum happy baby. That is all I want. I have as a doctor seen many, many babies who, because there has been this desperation and this guilt around uh, not bottle feeding or not topping up or not mixed feeding, um, that babies have, have become dehydrated and unwell. Um, and I absolutely do not blame their mothers for that. Rather, I sort of blame the pressure that society puts on women. Um, oh, fed yeah. is best. We are in a Western country where the water is clean and we have the facilities to sterilize bottles. So if that's what you want to do, then I will support you to do that. Fed is best. And that is the bottom line. Oh, completely. The, oh, the judgment, the, the pressure that we put on ourselves, but also is subliminally around you is quite something. Um, it, it's actually, I'm going to use the word revolting how other people may judge a mum's decisions sometimes with their baby, because as you said, fed is best. And 
it's not plain sailing for everybody. Not everybody has, and you mentioned it, you feel quite blessed that you had the opportunity to be able to feed your your three children, which which is amazing because some mums can't do it. So please, for anybody listening, please don't feel bad. There's so many options out there if you are having a hard time. And Philip has mentioned the baby is learning. It doesn't matter if you know what you're doing. That's quite reassuring and comforting, actually, because it just reminds you that, it is a process. It, it does take time and patience is often required, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. And I think also that um, when you are breastfeeding, it's it's a lot harder to get some of the other support. So people would say to me, oh, you know, what's your husband doing? Well, he can't feed the baby at two in the morning and he can't feed mm. the baby at three in the morning and at four yeah. in the morning now um yeah. you know and actually and and so yes he can change a nappy and bring me the baby that 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 he can do but there isn't the same sort of oh if he just did one feed and in the night time then I could get a big stretch of sleep um, and so there's a big impact and the other thing is is that you look like you're sitting in a chair and um, my babies were all very slow feeders and I would be sitting in a chair for 45 minutes at a time mm. um and and people would say well why are you tired you're not doing anything yeah, I'm making milk. I'm feeding my child from my body. And yes. that is a really significant physiological process. Now, wonderful, phenomenal that we have bodies that can do that. But don't think that that's easy sort of metabolically um, and that it doesn't require a huge amount of calories and a huge amount of water, you know, and mm. that that in itself is tiring. Feeding in itself is tiring. Oh, I'm that's something that I think people don't realize it does look like because I'm the same um Zachary is slow and I can be sat there for a long time waiting but I wonder why I'm tired even though I'm starting to get maybe I can get five hour stints I'm very lucky of sleep now in a row but I'm still exhausted and the, the body the energy that's required to make breast milk and you mentioned about husbands not being able to help I in the hospital experienced very bad postpartum symptoms with um, episodes of psychosis and it was imperative that I got a bit more sleep so I learned to pump actually in the first week in the hospital so my husband could do a night feed now I know that's not something that people recommend but it helped me recover mentally and it was what I needed at the time so yes there's a lot it, there's a lot of pressure on women and if you're not able to do that I don't know what your thoughts your thoughts are on so pumping, I think Philippa. firstly amazing to be able to learn to pump in that first week pumping mm. is a different experience to breastfeeding and especially until the milk is in it's not that easy um and there will be lots of us that have tried various different machines um yeah. electronic ones and handheld ones and mechanical ones and you know am I hooked up on both sides like I'm literally a cow um yes. <laughs> you know being like. milk yeah um and and for me what helped more than anything was closing my eyes and imagining that the baby had had latched on and was doing that sort of reflexive almost desperate sucking action that they do at the beginning um which mm. is what causes the letdown reflex um and then that whoosh would come so um and you sort of feel this tingling whoosh letdown as as the milk comes out and, and once that had started that was better for me um in every breastfeeding book i've ever read in every piece of information i've read about breastfeeding it says don't don't um don't necessarily mix feed at the beginning because they get nipple confusion in every patient I've ever met that's never happened yeah yeah um so so yes they have to work a little bit harder on the breast um than they do on the bottle but they're clever 
and they work it out um and and you do what's right for you and if that's pumping and if that's solely breastfeeding and if that's breast and bottle and if that's breast and express then then you do then you do that um and babies will work it out that that's my experience yeah, that, that, that's again comforting, I'm sure, for many people because you hear about babies that perhaps reject the breast once they've had a bit of bottle. But I think, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert here, which is why, why we're interviewing you for this, um, this episode, Philippa. But I've kept bottle feeds to maybe what one, one now in the day and do breast as often as I can just to, ma- to maintain that breastfeeding. Um, would you say in terms of the challenges then in the early months, how does the mum get looked after as well? Because we've got a lot of checks for the baby. What about the mum? So, so just to back up one second, um, if you are mixed feeding, then you need to keep offering the breast. If your majority is bottle and you're doing only one breast at that point, the baby might be like, no, this is a bit hard. But if you're mm. sort of doing at least equal amounts in it, then then it tends to be okay. Um, and if they then do reject the breast, then they reject the breast and fed is best. You know, yes, that mantra exactly. needs to be running through your head. So, um, before we get to mum, there's one more check for baby, and that's at six weeks, um, and that is the six-week baby check, um, and that's where your GP will do a top-to-tail check. They will weigh you, they will measure, they will measure their head circumference, they will check their hips, their hearts, everything literally from mouth to anus and feet, um, and they check everything on baby. Now, mum. So, the community midwife um, support is not just for baby, that's for mum as well. Um, and then you move towards your GP and your GP will be offering an eight week baby uh, mum check. Now, what we're trying to do is actually separate that from your baby check. And lots of mums before would have had a sort of a six to eight mum and baby check. And we're really actually encouraging GPs to separate that check because this one's about you about you as a mum mm. and when you go with baby you get distracted by baby and it mm-hmm. becomes all about baby um, and different GPs obviously will do it slightly differently um, but a colleague of mine Dr Stephanie DiGiorgio coined two questions and these are the questions which I think is are absolutely imperative to ask any mum and the first is how are you finding it? And that sounds like a really vague question. It's not really even a medical question. And the second is, tell me about your birth. And what happens in those questions is that it all comes flooding out. Mm. Because if I go in there and I say, tell me, um, you know, are are you uh, leaking when you cough? That's a very, I haven't given you an opportunity to tell me how it really is. If I ask you whether, you know, directly at the beginning about your bleeding, I haven't given you an opportunity for you to tell me how it is. So we ought to start with that opportunity. And, and those questions, they seem very open-ended and not uh, sort of very specific, but that's when as a GP, we can really work out who's in trouble, who needs us and who doesn't. Um, and that's because often we are not asked about ourselves as women, as people. We are only asked in the context of baby. Um, oh, that's and- so true, Philippa. So I, I only got a prod in the stomach. I have to be honest, my experience wasn't great. I was with, with baby, went in and was just, you know, checking the uterus probably, I'm guessing, had gone down. That was yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm sorry, because that's not how it should be. Um, mm. And yes, after those questions, we are going to ask you, has your bleeding stopped? Um, because if it hasn't stopped by eight weeks, then 
we need to know about it. There could be infection. There could be a little bit of retained uh, placenta or products um, that we need to know about. We want to know what you're doing. Uh, we want to talk about your pelvic floor. We want to talk about contraception. Um, it's coming. You, maybe you haven't thought about sex. Maybe you have thought about sex, but we really need to be talking about contraception straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we need to be talking about your mental health. Um, and that's the bit that often gets put aside and people talk about the baby blues and there's more and more talk about postnatal depression but actually when you're in it one of the things about all mental health conditions is that it is really easy to lose insight and that you Mm. don't know anymore you don't know that this isn't normal you don't know how down you are and you need someone objectively to be able to look at you and say we need help. And that help can be in a variety of ways, be that more support from the health visitor, you know, or more support with feeding, or with therapy, or with medication. And there are medications which you can have if you are breastfeeding, if you need them. Um, And there is this idea that you can't be on antidepressants if you are pregnant and breastfeeding. That is not true. Happy mum equals happy baby. And this is really important. And so that's your opportunity, essentially, to be sure that there aren't any physical complications, but also to check that um, your psychological health. Um, and that's really important. Um, and then obviously, if we need to keep seeing you, then then we will. What then happens, though, is that you then get into the baby IMS, um, the immunizations, and you're coming Mm. into the doctor's surgery, but you're coming in again for baby, not for yourself. And that's why we need to have you essentially before that happens. Yes. I wish you you were everyone's doctor. (laughs) You're fabulous. You should be doing everybody in the country, Philippa, (laughs) single-handedly, just to add more onto your workload. Yeah. Um, just just another little thing and I think that's so helpful for so many women because there are GPs out there like yourself that really care and you know you've been through it yourself you know that the psychological side as you said is quite hard to identify mums can be you kind of internalize everything you almost are in a little hole um, or a cave for three months and you don't really realize what's going on I suppose yeah and social media at two in the morning Mm. when you're scrolling on your phone and feeding the baby is full of pictures of mums smiling and looking perfect and their houses are immaculate and none of it is real none of it is real and we know (laughs) of very many cases unfortunately where women have committed have taken their own lives um Mm. and yet there have been pictures within two three days before or even that day where everything looks perfect and that is not the truth the largest cause of maternal death for in the first year after pregnancy is suicide Mm, that is a frightening statistic and that means that you need to ask for help if you're partner is worried about you and says that you need to ask for help get them to come with you but ask for help and give us the opportunities to see that you need help so that we can help you goodness yes a hundred percent um please everybody listening if there's something that philip and i hold no judgment anywhere please just go and seek out the help that you need there's nothing to be scared of because I guarantee you someone like Philippa that were to speak to you has probably seen it or heard it or or been there, you know, before. Uh, if we move away from the subject of mum now a little bit on to baby, because I'm sure there's people listening that want to hear a bit more about what to expect in those first three months. What kind of brain development changes happen? Because um, I remember it being 
I'm only 17 weeks in now, but every week is almost different. It's incredible. It is absolutely fascinating. And I actually remember that it was the child development lectures at medical school that made me go, oh, wow, this is what I'm here for. Um, and it's not the only thing I'm here for, but your brain is the most phenomenal elastic device and learning um is, is essential but what babies do is that they are learning and they are laying down neurons at a rate and a connection at a rate that that is unsurpassed at any other time in your life so you think oh you know I worked hard for my GCSE it's not as hard as you were working when you were three months old um, because your brain is literally working that hard so we divide child development up into various categories there is gross motor which is things like learning to hold your head up learning to sit up learning to crawl learning to stand up jump hop um, fine motor which is is working out that you have hands that's the first thing that you have to do um and then for example if you watch um an eight month old pick something up they pick it mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Top like uh, all in the palm of their hand. And yet, if you watch an 18 month old, they can pick up a raisin between their thumb and forefinger. And unless you begin to get that fine motor control, you're not going to be able to hold a pen. Um, and so there's fine motor, which is things like that. Um, then there are more social things, which are things like smiling, laughing, and the beginnings of communication. Um, and that first developmental milestone is about six weeks, and that is the smile, the responsive smile. Mm. And that is a huge developmental milestone. Um, and then there are the more social things about child development, which come much later on, but things about feeding themselves and toileting. And all of those those parts of child development are actually linked to sight and hearing because it obviously helps if you can see what you're um, going to pick up or you can hear in order to develop language. Now, that doesn't mean that if there is an issue in those areas that your child won't develop, they will, but um, that it may be at a different rate. But in that first three months, your baby goes from not being able to lift their head up because their heads are proportionally very heavy to hold these heavy brains um, that have the potential to become you know, a neuroscientist, um, to being able to hold their head up. That's the sort of the first big gross moment 
motor thing that they do. Um, and then if you were to put them down on their fronts, for example, at the beginning, they they might have that you would put them down sort of with their head turned sideways and then they would be able to turn it from side to side and then begin to push themselves up a little bit. Now, we we encourage tummy time a lot to develop that neck strength because um, the advice is to put babies down to sleep on their backs. That reduces the incidence of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, which is also called cot death. Um, but we need to give babies tummy time. Now, often they don't like it because mm. they don't like having their faces smushed down. But little and often, um, you know, five minutes at a time in they will develop that strength. But there are other developmental things that happen within that first three months. Pretty soon, they start to look at you. And Mm. their focal length is about 30 centimeters, which is about the distance between them on the nipple and your face. Um, And so they will begin to look at you. And then they'll begin to follow you. So if you lie, if they are laying on the changing mat and you move from side to side, their eyes will follow you from side to side. Um, and the other sort of things they'll do is that they'll startle to a loud noise. So mm, if, I yeah. don't know, someone drops <laughs> something reaction. outside, they sort of get this, yeah, you get this enormous sort of, oh, what was that um, noise? Um, but actually, these are the beginnings of communication. I can hear you. I know you're important to me. I'm going to watch you. And Mm -hmm. then you're going to smile at me and I'm going to smile back. And that's the beginning of a two-way relationship. And I think that there is this whole idea that the moment that the baby is born, that you're going to love this baby and do anything for it. And I think the women feel that pressure hugely, right? Um, Mm And I think the reality is, is that lots of women feel a sense of responsibility, but not a sense of love. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. That is entirely okay. Because love is a two-way street. And babies take, 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 and then they smile. And then in time they laugh and they, you know, and they do other things and they give something back to you. But until that happens, it's pretty hard. So that in the first three months, although you think, well, my baby's still just lying there, there are huge changes and those changes are going to be coming more and more and they're going to get rapider because before you know it, you're going to have a baby that is sitting up and banging toys together and they might not be talking, but they're making noises that, you know, you know, mean something, be it a grunt or a sort of a call or something else. And you will learn your baby. Um, and you will be your baby's expert and that is really important to hang on to because everyone has an opinion as we said but you are your baby's expert oh it's so magical I was getting big smiles when you were speaking about the (laughs) development it's like we are hardwired I described it with a friend the other day and she said something so funny she said it's almost like you're watching a twilight film and you imprint on this baby yeah I think in yeah in the books like imprinting on the wolves and suddenly you are just madly deeply you can't explain it. You, I don't know how to put it into words, that feeling when they smile. You just have to be there for them. You just want to do everything for them. I feel guilty if I walk away from Zachary for a second, I'm not entertaining him. It's like a constant... <laughs> so the first, the first thing I would say is if you don't feel that, that's okay. If you're yes. looking after your kid, that's good enough. And the good enough theory of parenting, which is a theory by a child psychologist, um, it basically says love your kid and do well and, and you'll, you'll be good enough and that if we're all perfect then our kids will never grow up and they'll yeah. never leave because there's no challenge because everything's too perfect so you only ever yeah. have to be good enough um, because oh, our kids that. have to experience adversity in order to be able to develop themselves so that's the first thing I, I would say um, but but there is definitely the, the smile is is a is a big moment <laughs> because if you think about the beginning at the beginning there's 
corona aside, generally there's lots of people who are really interested, you know, and people come around and they want to see the baby and they want to see you and that's all exciting and we're all running on adrenaline a little bit. And then six weeks, 12 weeks, I've run out of adrenaline and I am exhausted and the sleep deprivation has really mm. sort of mounted up. Everyone else has had enough, really. <laughs> but <laughs> that's when the relationship with baby begins to, to come in more and more and more, which can be you know, is is really helpful. Um, and for all the partners out there, don't be surprised yeah. if it takes longer because it's different. You don't have the same hormonal drive. And there are lots of hormones, the feel-good hormones, the hormones that are released at orgasm um, are released during breastfeeding. Um, and they are hormones that are, are bound essentially bind the woman to the baby even just picking up and the fact that you need to pick up and cuddle your baby all the time the fact that you have to carry them around everywhere is the mm. same as hugging and hugging makes you feel good right it releases that hormone and so yeah. as women our hormones are going to make us bond to the baby more and so for your partners that can be harder and um, it comes but no pressure either way it just it's going to take a little bit of time and that's okay as I said responsibility is enough at the beginning oh thank you for mentioning that about partners because I think a lot of dads out there or women who are doing it together you know regardless men women whatever your sex whatever your role is it, it is different for everybody and we were watching the other night um on Netflix it's the program I don't know if you've seen it called babies mm. on that it's a very very fascinating um, documentary kind of series they've got. And they were saying that in some men that become the sole carer, their brain, now I, I'm probably quoting this completely not in the best way possible. I can barely speak at the moment with the lack of sleep, but um, <laughs> their brain lights their up in a change. very, yeah, their brain yeah. changes and they become wired towards it. It's, yeah. it's fascinating how, how much time level. is involved. In some level, we are animals, right? Mm. Um, and we there has to be a a drive to look after a baby because they take from you. Um, and so there has to be something hardwired in to make you look after them. Um, yeah. The other thing to talk about is is what happens when there's two or three. How do we do this when you know mm. we've got a toddler or an yeah. older or more? Um, how do you and... do it, Philippa? Because I'm really <laughs> I'm really questioning that right now. I'm thinking, how do people have more than one? <laughs> so first of all, there comes a Point, and that point is very different for every woman where that possibility begins or doesn't begin to enter your head. Um, mm. And for some women, that's really early on. And for other women, it, it's it's later. And for some women, it doesn't come. Um, and that's fine no matter what. But I think that it's totally reasonable at the beginning to think, oh, God, how do I possibly do this again? Yeah. Well, how do people who have twins and triplets all hail to those mothers out there and those fathers mm. out there of multiple mm. babies? Because that's even harder. Um, yeah. But I think that the advice advantages of number two, three, four, whatever you have is that you know that you're the expert and you believe that. And with number one, you question everything and you're frightened. That's the truth is we're frightened. We are frightened of breaking these babies because they're so precious to us to the extent that it is totally normal to walk down the stairs with your baby and yet see in your mind's eye you yourself dropping them and them falling mm. down the stairs yes. because that's how you protect them 
that's how you don't do it. But those intrusive thoughts can be extraordinarily difficult to deal with. And if they become sort of more encompassing and they're really affecting your ability to function again, please see your GP. But when it comes to that, you you have less essentially often, often, I'm generalizing that there is less fear um, of the baby itself, because you know, you managed it, you didn't, you didn't break anybody in number one. But there are now new challenges and the challenge is how do I deal with A and deal with B at the same time? And the mm. truth is, is that there is a lot of sort of psychological um, discussion about birth order in families. And the reason is, is that you can never change the birth order. So baby number one, there's you and Zachary and you wiggle your fingers at him to entertain him. And as you said, you felt bad when you walk away because you think he needs to be entertained constantly. With mm. number two, you can't do that anymore. Mm. and but and and you worry about that you think oh you know I used to literally waggle my fingers and I used to look at the shadow and and that was fascinating um in the first you know few weeks <laughs> of life when number two number one does the entertaining and there's different mm. noise and there's you know and there's excitement and there's another face that gets shoved in theirs and that you know and and there's different kind of stimulation so it may not be the same but different doesn't have to be bad um yeah. and the truth is is by the time it got to number three the outing was going to take them to school and coming back again and that's okay <laughs> because they just did something else um and and <laughs> and i think that in some way although there's different pressures some of the initial pressure that you put on yourself perhaps gets um, a little bit less because there's more an acceptance of everybody's needs needs to be needs to be met as much as we can here and that means that nothing is perfect and that's okay yeah uh, and what about things like um for people that don't know how to deal with a baby crying let's say what what, what crying signs you can look out for because i've started to realize there are definitely different crying sounds that Zachary makes and I can almost hear him now if he were in another room with, with my husband I know exactly what he wants it's weird yeah so as I said you become your baby's expert right so at the beginning mm. they're not all there um so right you know in that first sort of couple of weeks there aren't different cries necessarily um but over time as those cries develop and you become in tune um that you will know different sounds um if you put a bunch of babies in a room of different ages the mothers will always be able to identify which one is their theirs if you put them all in there all of the same age that becomes a little bit more difficult um but there are different noises um that your baby will make crying is something which babies do mm. and that in itself can be quite difficult to accept. But crying doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong. Crying is their only form of communication. Sometimes it means I'm hungry. Sometimes it means my my bum is sore or I need, I need a nappy changing and it's uncomfortable. Um, sometimes, it, yes, sometimes it means I've got a tummy ache. Sometimes mm. I'm just crying because babies cry. Mm. And there is often a sort of drive potentially to medicalize that or maybe it's reflux maybe it's colic maybe it's yeah. maybe it's maybe it's maybe it is but sometimes babies cry and they often cry more actually in the late afternoon early evening oh yeah just um, before bedtime <laughs> yeah the witching hour mm. <laughs> um and and it's really distressing and sometimes all they want is to be held and walked and I think they have like an internal barometer they seem to know if you're standing up or sitting down yes they do I don't know how they know that even if yeah. you're still rocking but they know if you're yeah. standing up or if you're sitting down oh, um, 100%. and and sometimes there has to be an acceptance of 
I'm doing all I can and my baby's crying and Mm. I'm still doing all I can and my baby's crying and if that means that you need to put them down and you need to go into another room and scream that's okay that's okay baby's just going to be doing whatever it's doing when you come back as long as you leave baby in a safe environment um so babies do cry if you are concerned if you are concerned that they are in pain if they are I don't know constipated or or things like that then obviously please do go and see your doctor there are some brilliant websites out there there's one called purple crying which gives lots of information and crying support. Um, and that's worth looking at. And yes, of course, some babies um, do have reflux and do need treatment with medication. So definitely it's always worth going to see your GP um, and, and seeing if something needs to be done. Um, and then as babies get older, essentially they cry less. Now at the beginning, babies cry don't cry as much as they do sort of later on. Mm. So you think, oh, my baby's really good. For the first two to four weeks and then the crying <laughs> starts and it tends to peak at about three months um and and then begins to lessen off but that, that first six months there can be a lot of crying in it um and that and that's hard to hear to me you mm. know it, it sounds yeah, it like is. it sounds like someone's stabbing you um, yes. that's what it sort of felt like to me um yeah. and that's why they I think that topics such as um people who advocate controlled crying or crying it out um why it's so emotive um is is because it does create this emotional response within us as parents um awful (laughs) there are as i said there are no right ways or wrong ways there's only the way which works for you and your baby but crying is is part of being a baby yeah, it it really is. And um, I'm, I'm just aware that I could talk, that I've got so many questions to ask you. And I know that the time of my podcast are not long enough. The fourth trimester <laughs> could be a whole um, podcast series in itself. Um, I think it's important mums also know, um, because I know we've got other episodes on feeding. So I'll, I'll let people go and listen to those when it comes to feeding in more depth. But stimulation in terms of black and white objects. So mm. I remember... Um, reading a book being like oh they can only see black and white how do you know how many weeks that was and is it worth getting and investing for people that are about to have a baby maybe getting lots of black and white objects so um it's to do with the development of sight that black and white is what they see first um Mm. and then i would go to very bright colors so when you are thinking about what you're going to put um on the baby's cot or in the buggy or toys wise all those sort of very neutral mobiles they're for you they're not for baby Mm. you want the ones that have got black and white swirls and then some big bright coloring things um so baby will get its stimulation by looking at faces that's what they really like so your face other people's faces and a few i if, if it were me i would go for a few sort of black and white books um yeah. of big black and white shapes that that kind of thing um and then when people ask you what you want for baby people are always buy clothes but actually toys I know that's what I bought you last yes time, you it? did and um, it's so helpful <laughs> yeah so a rattle they'll play with a rattle pretty soon what's that you know what's that noise um and so I would start with those things remember there is so much in your house that as your baby gets older that they will use as a toy so a wooden spoon and a saucepan is you know a mm. thing of joy water you know the bath play all of that is Mm. development and babies learn through play so when your kid is a bit older and you're thinking why does it take forever to walk down the road to post a letter because we are walking on every single
single wall. What you are teaching your baby is huge. You are teaching them that we don't run in a road. We are teaching yeah. them balance with their gross motor coordination. When you walk on the wall, you are talking to them and you're developing their language. You're having a conversation between the two of you. You're teaching them right and wrong by the fact that you didn't walk into that shop and steal the loaf of bread, you know, and all of those things you are teaching them. And all you did was walk down the road. And so at the end of the day, if you can put your own head on your own pillow and think no one died today, you've taught yeah. them loads. You've fed oh, them, <laughs> you've watered them, and they're yeah. in bed. Go to bed yourself. Yeah. And quite frankly, all mums are heroes. Oh, that that is just so, so reassuring. Because like I said earlier, you feel like you should be buying every latest gadget and you get this feeling of guilt that you're not doing enough. But you're right, experiences are a lot of the time enough. And it does lead me on nicely to questions we've got from our listeners. And the first from Hayley. Um, this is one that I wanted to ask you as well. Should I be worried that my newborn is already fixated on the telly? That's an interesting question, I thought. <laughs> so they're not engaged with this plot line of Corrie. Um, <laughs> they are looking at the flashing lights. Um, yeah. And so that's what the stimulation is of television. So they, they will look at it. Um, and there are ba various baby TV um, programs. I wouldn't worry that they're fixated on it. I wouldn't let them sit in front of it all day. Um, but yeah, I absolutely wouldn't worry. They're looking at the lights. Great. Perfect. There you go, Hayley. Um, and another question from Bella. And I remember also being shocked at how long I wore these for. She said, I've heard about mummy nappies. Is this true? And how long <laughs> might you need them? Yeah. Yeah. So you need a special kind of sanitary towel. Um, and they're thick and they're big and, and they're sort of uncomfortable. And, and well, they're not really uncomfortable, but they're sort of much bigger than a very discreet um, You can't wear trousers pad. or jeans over those. No. <laughs> or leggings. Well, you can wear loose ones. You can't wear. Loose ones. Would, yeah, that's just it. Your your yeah. jeggings might be a bit harder yeah. to get on, but yeah. you're not getting them on anyway because <laughs> no, you know, weight does not fall off. You just had a baby, um, and we actually yeah. we don't want you to use tampons. We want you to use a maternity pad, and that's actually because we we want to be able to assess how much you're losing. So yes, um, when you go and do your sort of pre pre baby shop, you're going to buy a bunch of maternity towels, and I would say that the paper disposable knickers are surprisingly useful. Um, I remember mm. standing with my mum before my first, laughing at her, saying, "Why do I have to have these?" And then being incredibly grateful that I did. Um, if you <laughs> are going to have a cesarean, or even if you don't know that you're going to have a cesarean, um, and then you do send someone out to get pants in a much bigger size than you've got and the big ones the granny ones we want the ones that go over the scar you mm. do not want a pair of pants that is going to irritate into that bikini line scar so over the top big pants um is what you need so yes they mm. exist and and you probably need them yeah, you do. You really do. Um, Lucy has said I just can't even get outside some days is that really bad Oh, bless you. Um, if you can't get outside because it's too much for you and you are entirely overwhelmed uh, or you are frightened to leave your house, um, then that would be the time to seek help. But I do not want to make a, that's a big jump that I just made, but I'm putting it out there for the people that that, that 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 is an issue for. But if it's just some days you're too tired, then that's okay. 
because if you're too tired, you're too tired. Um, I would say that having a little bit of a routine, some fresh air helps with your sleep, helps with your mental health um, and, and can be really good for you. But it does not have to be rigid and you don't have to do it absolutely every day. But if what you're saying is, is I can't get out there because I'm too frightened or because actually I can't cope at all, then that's very different. And please do see your GP. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you. And we now move on to our fact or fiction round, Philippa. So you've been on the podcast before. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Baby's vision is blurred when they're born. Uh, it depends at your focal. They're probably true. I'm going to go for fact <laughs> initially, but you need to get that that right focal length, which, as I said, is a sort of sort of breast to face. There we go. <laughs> Breast milk is ready as soon as you give birth. False. So what comes out first is called colostrum. And that's actually the really good stuff that is full mm. of antibodies. Um, and any feed that you can do, much the better. If you can't, you can't. But the milk tends to start coming in on between about day three and day five. That's when your boobs feel like rocks. Um, and then the baby's poo begins to change as the milk comes in. Brilliant. Pain post-birth can be as strong as labour pain. Yes. Now, I never went into labour. I had three emergency sections um, and was quite taken aback by by mm. the strength of the contractions afterwards, especially as you feed. The hormones that are released during feeding are going to make your womb contract back down. Mm. Um, and those pains can be really quite powerful. And let's also add in, you're going to be a bit sore down there. And if you've had stitches, your genital areas are going to be really sore. That first poo can be a little bit of a challenge. And if you've had a cesarean, there is pain too. Look after yourselves. Take your painkillers. If you don't look after yourselves, you can't look after baby. Oh, painkillers were the best thing post-birth. Gosh, <laughs> um, definitely. Um, you don't need to wash new baby clothes. Um, I don't think you do. I don't know. Mm. What do you think? I don't think you do. I was paranoid and I did it. And then I started to realize it was pointless um, and it was totally okay. Uh, Zachary was fine. Um, yeah. Um, you will lose control of your bladder for a short while. So this is really important. I'm going to say that is false. You should not lose control of your bladder. It is totally normal afterwards to have to work at it um, mm. and that you can have um, some stress incontinence, jumping, laughing, coughing, sneezing, but that isn't something that we then accept and say, oh, this is now normal for the rest of my life. Um, that's something that we need to work at. Perfect. It'll take two weeks for your body to lose the extra fluid it took on during pregnancy. Um. No, it's going to take six weeks for all the hormonal and vascular changes to return to normal. Um, it shouldn't hurt to walk nearly a month after giving birth. Um, I would say that's true. 100%. Postpartum depression only appears within the fourth trimester. No, false. Philippa, that was a fabulous fact or fiction round. I mean, that has been so informative and helpful. You're extremely, and I think it obviously helps you if you've had children, but you're so empathetic and you're able to, this is what I, I love about having you on as a guest is that I really can feel the compassion, the compassion is there because we're talking about a subject that it's actually impossible to go into as much depth as we want in the limited time we have. And the problem is everyone's so unique and that 
does wrap up the episode today. I wish we had a lot longer and I'd like to start by finishing with a food for thought. And for me, I, I guess everyone's different. We all have different experiences. And what Philip has touched on today has been so important, and that is to be kind to yourself. Um, you know, and, and don't compare yourself to others. One of the hardest things I think I found was worrying that my baby wasn't as big as my other friend's babies, um, that he's putting on weight a bit slower. And then I had a slight prolapse towards the end and I did have pain recovering but I had to see the woman's health physio and that did help so what I'm trying to say is seek out the support seek out the help don't be scared to ask people I mean the amount of times I felt guilty whatsapping someone like Philippa or a friend I have to ask for (laughs) advice but actually more often than not they completely understand and if I hadn't have done that in that moment of time I dread to think what state my mental health would be in now to be honest so motherhood's tough it's 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 like heaven and hell if you believe in that in in one I would say it, it all together and it's very very strange so hang in there and don't be scared to seek out the help Philippa if you could leave our listeners with a food for thought today what would that be I would say if you say parenting is heaven and hell I would say that parenting is joy with fear thrown in and yes. no one can scare you as much as your own child can and no one can bring you joy as much as your own (laughs) child can ask for help definitely um and yes be kind to yourself however you are doing you are doing amazingly you grew that baby you may be feeding that (laughs) baby you are looking after that baby that is enough oh philippa um for our (laughs) listeners that perhaps don't catch you on tv regularly where where can they go to find more information out about you um, so my website www.drphilippa.co.uk or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at at Dr. Philippa K. Philippa, from the bottom of my heart, a huge thank you for sharing your invaluable knowledge with us today. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love the others in this mini series. So click subscribe and have them all downloaded in one go. If you have time to, please do leave a review so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and the ultimate aim is to hopefully help more and more people. For more information about me or my clinic nutrition, books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. 